Welcome back in Wyoming knuckleheads. This is another episode of Go Be Wyoming. I'm your host, Aaron Gray, and today our special guest is State Senator Dave Kinski for Senate District 22 in Sheridan and Johnson Counties. Dave, how are you doing this morning? Hey, Aaron, I'm great. How about yourself? I'm doing good. I I'd, kind of hope for some uh, sunny weather, but we're getting there. You know, it's, <laughs> it's Wyoming. You'll get five seasons in one day if you want. Yep. I love that music. It, it made me smile. What do you call that? Your picante music or your, yeah, just intro music. It uh, yeah. came from a high school friend of mine who lives in Casper. He, um, he actually hit us up. He was listening to our early stuff and he's kind of like, Hey, uh, love what you guys are doing. And he's like, you know, I listen to podcasts and, uh, he's like, they always have intro music. And I was like, Oh, you're right. You know, cause I'm a big podcast guy and I was like, shoot, I didn't even think of that. And he runs a, um, he's a DJ and stuff in, in Casper and he mixes music and he's like, well, I'll give you guys a, um, you know, a free intro song. So that was, uh, Taryn down there and, um, in Casper. So I'll give him a shout out. So, well, yeah. that's, that's great. That's the kind of listeners you got to have. Yep. Oh yeah. I wish I had something to offer like an intro <laughs> music, but I, I don't have that much talent. Yeah. No, I don't know how he did it. And he, he gave it to me in like a day and I was like, man, that's awesome. Yeah, so it's good. It sounds great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, for anyone that doesn't know, you uh, started your service in the state legislature in 2014. Um, was that as a representative or have you always been in uh, the Senate? No, I, I'll tell you, I've got to tell you, Aaron, I think of myself always first as a business person. Mm. That's that's my orientation. I, was, I worked uh, for family business for a number of years, grew up uh, stacking ice cream in the Jersey Creamery right here in Sheridan. That was a family business. Um, my dad worked in his family's business and, and uh, his dad worked in his family's business. And so uh, I came to public service somewhat reluctantly. Uh, when I was in college, I had uh, worked as a summer intern for Malcolm Wallop and uh, his name is now permanently ensconced and honored in what used to be North Park. It's now Wallop Park on, on the north of Sheridan. Right. And he was a great uh, U.S. senator. I was a teen for Wallop when he ran for governor in a five-way race and just barely lost out on that. And the background there was the coal mines were just starting to open up and you'd see on TV pictures of strip mines in Virginia and Kentucky where just whole mountainsides were devastated and, and, and whole ecosystems were destroyed. And we didn't call ourselves conservationists or environmentalists back then. We just, we wanted to find a way that we could get the coal out of the ground and still preserve Wyoming. And uh, so that was done in a responsible way. And Malcolm Wallop was kind of the leader of that, along with a lot of other giants of, of the legislature. And then um, I took a year off from college and I worked for Al Simpson in his first Senate campaign. And by then I just had a belly full of politics. I thought, well, that was interesting to do when you're young. Meanwhile, I've got to go out and make a living. So you zip ahead a few years and I, I built a, a, a nice company in healthcare. I really enjoyed home care. It just came to the point where it was time to sell it. And uh, after we sold it, now this is probably more than you want to know, Aaron, I'm sorry. That's but okay. After I sold it, I, I took home a bottle of champagne to my wife, and we were living in the Golden State then. And um, I said, I don't know the meaning of life, but you can't find it with five lanes of traffic going north, five lanes of traffic going south, and nobody moving. We've got to get the hell out of California. We have to go home. We were both from Sheridan. And so we listed the house and moved back home. Well, I started out, I thought it'd be a real estate, do real estate development and build buildings. And uh, somewhere along the line, all my old high school buddies were now, you know, bank presidents and car dealers and had insurance agencies. And they said, we'd like you to run for mayor. We, you know, City Hall needs a little bit of professional management down there. 
And I said, well, let the city manager manage it. And they said, well, we don't have one. That was abolished in 1975. Right. <laughs> Just now came back. Yep. Only a city administrator, not a city manager. There's a difference. Yes. And so I said, well, you know, I've had a belly full of politics. I don't really like it much. It's not a good process. It's not a real, you know, what did Winston Churchill say? Democracy is the worst form of government until you compare it to every other form of government. Right. <laughs> and um, they said, well, we'll help you. So I became mayor. I did that for 10 years. Uh, my whole thing was... When I grew up, Aaron, you'd hear people say, uh, Wyoming's number one export is its youth. And I can distinctly remember in, in junior high, early high school, people would say, well, when you graduate, where are you going to go? Well, my brother's in Denver. I've got a sister in California. It, for many, it just went without saying they had to leave. So when I moved back, the conversation hadn't changed. So my whole thing with mayor going running for mayor was let's change the conversation. Let's get real. If we're going to, if we're really going to diversify our economy, let's get serious about it. So, uh, as mayor, we founded the Sheridan high tech business park out North of town. And then we had some business park acreage available out Brundage lane, about 50 acres in all. Um, we had a true economic development program and a true economic development focus and, um, some success followed and, and uh, th that's what you've got to do. If you're going to be in the game for economic development, you're competing against other Wyoming cities and towns. You're competing against Iowa. And it's all about making sure the community is here in another hundred years. So uh, just one more story, Aaron, and then I really will get back on task. But No, this when, is great. When, when my father sold his business, he was in the convenience stores. And my brother Joe and I thought, well, we're going to go into the convenience store business. So 7-Eleven was selling a couple hundred stores nationwide in various regions. So Joe and I hopped into his van and we toured all across the country looking at these stores. I was impressed and depressed by some towns I saw in the Midwest that looked remarkably like Sheridan. They were little agricultural towns and the main streets had plywood over the windows mm. and every fourth house was for sale and the average age was 70 and getting older. And that's what happens when a community doesn't say, what are we going to do to plan for the future to make sure that we've got jobs for people? And so that's, that's my whole drive. I love Sheridan. I love Wyoming, just like you. And I want to make sure that we stay vital. And, and we have the, the biggest products we have are oil, gas, and coal. That's, that's pays the taxes that those are the best paying jobs. And it's under assault by the rest of the world. Right. And it's past science. It's a religion now. It's just an article of faith. You, you can't watch the, the network evening news without hearing how countries all around the world want to, want to go to zero car, net carbon. We've got a couple decades yet. It's not going to happen all at once. But So we have diversified in Sheridan. We've got 300 to 400 manufacturing jobs that didn't exist when I became mayor. I think that's something we can be proud of. Certainly that's not all government. It's incentives that government can offer and it's government getting out of the way and saying yes to opportunity. And uh, so now I, I think we're well poised. I think we're a little bit out of balance though. I, mm. I, I do think we're a little bit out of balance in terms of we're growing a little bit too fast, but I, sure. don't, I don't know how you, there's not a dial where you go, let's just dial in one or 2% growth. We're in a boom right now and that's not healthy, but uh, we'll, you know, like all our challenges, we'll, we'll find a way, we'll find a way to work past it. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we'll get back to that a little bit, but I do want um, to kind of cover what you do in the Senate. Cause I think some people, especially here in Sheridan might not know all the committees and everything that you do down at the legislature. So you ran for mayor and then I think I know the story, but 
kind of walk us through how you got into the state legislator? Wasn't there a, a, a passing? Maybe yeah, there was a, a tremendous uh, senator from KC, Wyoming. That's the, this district runs from KC to Claremont and from the Powder River to the Bighorn, so gotcha. the District 22, uh, 6,000 square miles, 18,000 people. And John Schiffer was a remarkably right. effective legislator, a wonderful guy. And uh, one day he didn't feel well, went to the doctor and found out he had 30 days, maybe six months. And he was gone within a month or two. And I was appointed to fill out his term, which is daunting because John was in, an incredibly effective legislator. And um, so then you, you just say, well... We're starting over again. I'm a freshman, right? Yep. Every time you start something new, you just say, well, the past was preparation, but I don't know everything I need to know. So the first thing you have to do is really get to know people. Mm. It's, it's relationships. So I know this sounds, you might think this is a little bit silly, <laughs> but I downloaded a uh, flashcard program like you would use to study for a school class. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm almost embarrassed to tell you this, but I, I took every legislator's picture out of the legislative handbook. Oh, gotcha. I put that there. And then on the back, I put their name, what district they represented, and just a couple facts about them. And then I would sit there and I would go through those things over and over and over again until I could say, you know, that's Senator so-and-so, that's Representative such-and-such, just so that I could at least greet people by name because I was new. Right. And I wanted, to, I wanted to get up to speed as quickly as possible. And uh, so initially I was on judiciary, so the, the, the committees you asked about, the mm -hmm. legislature does its work by committee. And uh, it's very scattered as a consequence. It's not, you know, we're a legislative branch. We're not an executive branch. And so issues with criminal justice go to the judiciary committee. And if you're not on the judiciary committee, you're relying on those people to do good work if they're gonna report bills out. Mm -hmm. So I was on judiciary and revenue. And then I, I really wanted to get on to appropriations committee and that's, that handles the state's budget. And if you really want to be effective, I believe in the legislature, you have got to understand the budget. Yes. Uh, appropriations is a big sacrifice because you sit on your keister day in and day out, <laughs> listening to every single state agency give presentations with lots of charts and numbers and, uh, it, it can be a little bit overwhelming. And uh, yeah. uh, so I went to this one staffer, his name's Don Richards. He's been there a long, long time. And I said, Don, isn't there a book you can give me that I could just spend a, a weekend boning up on like you're going to take a final exam or something? And he goes, no, there's no. I said, well, how did John Schiffer become so effective? How did the late Tom Kinnison become so effective? And he looks at me and he goes, it's just seat time. Each of them had hundreds and hundreds of hours sitting in that appropriations committee room, pouring over state budgets. And I said, Don, that's the most depressing thing anybody's ever told me. <laughs> that's the price I got to pay is, yeah. is patience. And uh, every time you sit through a budget hearing, the next year you sit through it again. You, the first time you go, okay, Department of Transportation, this, this, this. You go to the university's budget, you go to the other budget. Well, the second year it's a little more familiar. Third year it's a little more familiar. Right. And uh, I'm hoping that I, I, I don't know that I'll be as expert as I would like, but I'm, I'm getting a little bit better. Sure. Just takes time. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And it, it, so that's, that's process stuff, which is kind of boring. I mean, that's just not all very exciting to people. Right. But that's the reality of it. It's, it's just not very, it's like, it reminds me, I've got two kids that are in the, in Hollywood, in the movie business. And 
it's not, it's not interesting. I mean, it's not sexy. It's not exciting. It's yeah. just a lot of hard work. Well, like what you're doing here, you know, Hey, he's a podcaster. Uh, you know, the girls, the booze, the parties, you know, the photos, <laughs> the trips, the gifts. No, it's sitting down at a desk and making sure you just get the hard work done, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it, you know, it's, there's some fun to it, obviously. And there's fun to your job too, but yeah, there's, there's times where it's just, Hey, we just got to sit down and, you know, and, and, uh, get her done. Like you said, patience, I'm, uh, my wife would agree. Um, you know, patience is not one of my <laughs> strong suits, but, um, we'll, we'll get into more of that, Dave. Um, I just really quickly want everyone else to know you're on the committee on capital finance and investment, and then also the committee of state employee, state employee, uh, compensation commission. Um, I'm missing one here. There's another one I think you sit on, but, um, anyways, you know, most, most senators and representatives are on multiple committees. Yeah. I was on the Wyoming retirement system and I stepped back from that one. That one was taking way more time than I really had anticipated. What's nice about that is you get to sit and listen to these investment professionals as you do. So the other, as you do on capital finance and investments. So what you do on cap fin, as they call it, is you're looking at the 20 plus billion dollars the state has invested and they're all, all those funds are invested differently. Sure. The retirement fund is invest, invested differently from the workers comp fund is invested differently from the uh, unemployment insurance fund. People say, well, the state has $20 billion. We don't have any problems. Well, a lot of those funds are dedicated to, to very specific purposes. Right. You can't just dip in and say, Hey, we're a little short this week. Why don't we just dip into the employee retirement plan? That'd yeah. work that way. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Cause I think people hear that number and that's exactly what they think is, Oh, we can just dip into it. And it's like, well, no, they've all got purposes for that. Um, give us a, uh, you had a lot of co-sponsored bills. Um, is there anyone you want to touch on that? Um, I'm not sure if any of these got passed or not, but, um, maybe something you're going to be pushing in the next session at all that you feel strongly about or. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and touch on those, but I have to tell you, sometimes some of my best bills are ones I don't sponsor. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and the reason for that is it's a lot of work to sponsor a bill and get it through successfully. Mm -hmm. And this last session, it was such that, you know, trying to balance a, a half billion dollar deficit yeah. and you're on appropriations committee, I thought I've got, to, my whole focus has to be on this. And so a lot of people approach me to co-sponsor bills saying, and can, you know, like a house person might say, Hey, I've got a great bill. And if I can get it through the house, will you manage it on the Senate floor? Say, you know, you got to find somebody else. I'm really sorry. You gotcha. Know, maybe next year. Uh, because you take those things on and then you, you sign on to a bill like Aaron comes to you and says, Hey, could you sign on to this bill? And I go, sure. You know, I can't floor manage it. Oh, don't worry. I've got it all taken care of. And then, <laughs> and then you have something like somebody will come up to you and say, Hey, that bill you signed on to is up in, in, in Senate travel commission and all the other sponsors are busy. <laughs> you have to go present. Right. Really? Well, Cause I have to present another one in 10 minutes. Well, sure. you just, present two, two different places, that kind of thing. So you, you try to be pretty selective. So if ones that are real heavy lift, sometimes you just tell people, look, I'll, I'll back you up on it or I'll, you have my vote, but I, I've got to beg off of signing yeah. on anything else. Well, that speaks to kind of, you know, your name's attached, right? So yeah. you've got to, if you're, if you're giving that up, like you said, you, you have to go present it if, if someone else can't go. So I totally get that. You know, it's a, it's a reputation and respect type deal. And then, you know, you've got to, 
be smart with your time. Time management. Yeah. That, that, that one only, that's a hard lesson to learn too, like patience, right, Aaron? Yeah. <laughs> so I do remember though, years ago, um, uh, Warren, um, he was, um, speaker of the house. And I'm trying to remember what, what the heck his name was. Anyway, he told Warren Morton, he told me that, and I don't know if this is true, but he said, Al Simpson typically only carried about three bills per session. But if yours was one of the three, it was going to pass. Mm because Al put his all into that bill. Right. Make sure he believed in it, he was committed to it, he'd do whatever he needed to do in terms of appearances, work, research. So I think that's probably a pretty good model. Sometimes it's quality, not quantity. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so is there... Um, Just go ahead and rattle them off. We'll, yeah, we'll you, the, the, you only had about four or five. You had... Um, these were all Senate bills, by the way, first, so I'm just going to run the numbers. So 127 was the learn and earn bill, um, 128 uh, parental authority, and then 129 was, I think, Medicaid-led um, pharmacist. Um, I'm kind of curious on that one. Um, and then 137, um, firearms. Um, you know, if you just want to give a government summary. Government preemption. Yeah, become, government preemption. So let's, preemption. Take that, yep. let's take that first one, earn while you learn. That was an intention to try and create a pilot program to demonstrate that we can do in Wyoming what many other states do, which is to create, for want of a better word, I'll say a European-style um, internship program. So in America, we've just so oriented to, you've got to go to college, you've got to go to college, that that's the default. And uh, it's not that way in other parts of the nation, nor, or nor in Europe, where a young person about their freshman year can say, you know what, I really want to graduate in auto mechanics, or I really want to graduate in machine tools. And they can actually get a job while they're in high school. And the high school and the community college can work together to make sure that what they're learning on the job reinforces what they're learning in the classroom. And in fact, if they've got a work environment that's conducive and, and, and amenable to it, they actually can get credit for what they do on the job. Now, we have to devote resources to make sure that whoever is supervising that young person has enough academic grounding and is overseen by the high school or the college teacher that it really is worthy of academic credit. So the idea is a young person could graduate from high school, maybe they have a certificate in welding or advanced certificate in something or other, they walk out the door and they get a job for $45,000 a year. How many people do you and I know that went to college, got a degree in history or, or, or yeah, whatever studies and they struggle to find the kind of work that they really want to be able to find. Yep. It, so it's just a different world now. Mm -hmm. And so this bill just had a $1 million appropriation to, to stand up a pilot program to do that. And it passed handily in the Senate, went to the house where they grafted into it a program called Wyoming's Tomorrow that was a $100 million program. Whoa. And uh, that was designed basically to say universal college education for everyone free kind of deal. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I couldn't sign on to that, nor was it ever going to make it through the Senate. So sadly, my, my, uh, my bill died. Sure. But let me tell you something, Aaron, here's the good news. We could do that locally. If you could get the county commission in the cities and towns to take a tenth of the penny and put it into a, establish a fund, that fund could earn yep. investment earnings and we could fund it locally. You don't have to look to Cheyenne for everything. Yep. And there's probably business here, businesses here locally too, that would also, you know, they need those kind of trade jobs like you're talking about. Yep. Cool. So that's like, it's like an apprentice, apprenticeship, internship 
you know, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and then the, the, um, parental authority, um, uh, one twenty eight. I think so, I wrote that down. So right. this was one that, um, I was contacted by a friend in Utah and he has grandchildren in Utah and grandchildren in Wyoming. And he says when he takes his grandkids for an extended period of time, maybe a week while mom and dad go off on a second honeymoon or something, they can sign a, uh, mom or dad can sign this affidavit that says, I appoint, you know, insert name of grandparents and have full parental authority to seek medical care, this, 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 signed, notarized. And uh, that gets doctors, school, they, that means they can go to school conferences, they can do everything the parent could do. And uh, 27 other states have a statute like that. In Wyoming, we sometimes get by with just kind of ginning up something that looks like that, but there's actually no legal provision for that. Oh, in Wyoming. Technically, in Wyoming, you have got to go to court and establish a temporary legal guardianship. Oh, oh geez. <laughs> and uh, so this fellow said, this would be a good thing for Wyoming. In the middle of it, the military department showed up and they said, we like this bill too. Because what happens is, is you've got a, a husband or a wife or, or, or a, a couple that's married and divorced. They've got kids. And the husband or the wife was waiting to find out if they're about to be deployed where gotcha. o- overseas, you know, to an emergency. And so they want to be able to have some, a piece of paper that they go to the neighbor and say, Sally, it, can I appoint you as temporary guardian of my child? If I get deployed on rap on short notice, I just need you to be able to get her into school and, and so forth, whatever, right. Or grandpa, grandma, whomever. And so the military department wanted it. It died with, uh, uh, just in a barrage of questions uh, in judiciary committee where they were saying, well, what if the husband and wife are fighting? What if husband doesn't want wife's grandparents to see the kid and that kind of thing? So uh, we're going to, we're going to bring it back. I'm, sure. In fact, I've got a call set up with the uh, Wyoming military department tomorrow to, to talk about how, how they'd like to see that bill done as they've done in other yeah. states. Cool. Well, and that's an example of, you know, sadly it didn't get very far, but that's kind of the, um, the reason for the committees is to voice questions and, you know, kind of work through scenarios, I guess, of especially that kind of scenario, you know, family and parental authority. That's always a tricky question for a lot of people. Well, and sometimes you've got to run things, you know, two, three times, you you know, it's persistence is really the name of the game. Patience, right? Yeah. (laughs) So I'm 0 for 2 so far. Uh oh. (laughs) That's all right. Um, Well, we'll we'll get back into the appropriations and the budget because I think, like you said, there's there's a lot there that we can kind of recap. The last two here, you had 129. That was the Medicaid. I don't think it was expansion, but it was Medicaid. Led pharmacists. So, so or? let's let's talk about that one. This is what happened at the. You can remember at the height of the COVID emergency, there was not enough testing. There weren't enough test kits. There weren't enough testing stations, and you know, as a patriotic act, people were sewing masks, and everybody's asked to step forward. Well, there's a young pharmacist here in Sheridan said, "By golly, I'll start testing," and he got the gowns and all the instruments and. And you could actually, and my wife and I did testing there. You'd pull up and they'd come out with the face shield and they'd take the test and and uh, text you or email you the results. It was, it was a tremendous service. Well, this is the way healthcare works. Then he starts sending the claims into Medicaid and Medicare and, and the insurance companies. And they come up with all kinds of reasons why they're not going to pay for that service. Interesting. 
Yeah. So it's, it's what very often happens in healthcare. No good deed goes unpunished. And so amongst other things, they said, well, pharmacists aren't listed as a Medicaid service. And if they were, that would help with reimbursement. What do you mean that's not listed? So you go to the Medicaid statute and it says, we will pay doctors, hospitals, nurses, blah, 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 and for prescription drugs without actually saying pharmacists. Oh, gee. <laughs> so it was just to add the word pharmacists in there. Semantics. And um, so that one then went in front of a health committee, but the State Association of Pharmacists showed up and and started saying, yeah, we want that in there so then we can start billing for all kinds of additional services we've never been able to bill for, which was way beyond what I and the young local pharmacist were looking for. Sure. And it, it just died because they they thought it was going to cost a whole lot of money. It, it's it's sad. So mm-hmm. I don't know what's going to happen to this young man and, and uh, you know, all the money that he's got outstanding with these insurance companies. But I, I think he'll be a little less idealistic after this as I was when I was in healthcare. I, I, yeah. many, many times I got burned for doing the right yep. thing. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. Insurance Which, companies want the service. They're just sometimes not real good at paying for it. Yep. <laughs> well, surprise, surprise there, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, isn't it funny? I'm, I'm a conservative pro-free market Republican, but when you get we, me started on insurance companies, I, I can get whipped up pretty fast. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think like a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And then the last one, uh, one 37, the um, government, uh, what'd you say, pre... pre uh, well, this is f- uh, firearms preemption. Preemption, there you go. And what this is, is is uh, in the ideal... I mean, if you've, if you've got a, 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 a firearm and you keep it in your vehicle, you want to be able to drive from one end of the state to another and know you're not committing crimes along the way. So what does that mean? Well, if you've got a pistol and it's hidden inside your door... Is that, you know, and you drive from Sheridan County to County X, what if the town in County X has an ordinance that says any weapon not in plain view is a, is a concealed weapon and, oh, and gotcha. we don't allow that, you sure. know, or we don't allow that in any building in town. Well, you know, but other towns, it's just don't allow it in courtrooms. And so you get this patchwork quilt of regulations, effectively meaning you're at risk if you even carry a firearm. Right. And so... We have a, a law on the books that said the state will determine what those regulations are and, and local governments, political subdivisions cannot, called preemption. So then a couple years later, there's this bill called the Wyoming Firearm Firearms Freedom Act. And it, and it says any firearm that is wholly manufactured inside the state of Wyoming and is not sold across state lines is exempt from all federal regulations. Which sounds good. I don't know whether it passed federal constitutional scrutiny with the current Supreme Court or not. But it created Wyoming as a sanctuary state for Wyoming firearms. Gotcha. The problem is it was it was poorly drafted and it looped in the preemption statute in such a way that it now reads preemption by state law applies only to firearms manufactured within the state of Wyoming. It it was a mistake. Yeah. And so my bill would just say, we're going to fix that because I don't know if you remember, there was a a situation where somebody carried a firearm onto the university of Wyoming campus and they were cited and it went to the Wyoming Supreme court. And they said, you know, that firearm was made outside the state of Wyoming. So the preemption doesn't apply. Every political subdivision gets to make their own rules. Right. 
And so my thing is I tell people, regardless of what your feelings are about firearms, we ought to have one set of rules, not, not multiple sets all across the state. Yep. And uh, that one, there was another bill that was a companion uh, to preemption, and that, bi- that bill really got some legs. So that one went ahead, and mine we just laid back as, sure. as insurance in case something happened to the other bill, and the other bill passed. So I think we've got preemption, local preemption, firmly ensconced in state statute. Awesome. So. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, no, and that, you know, it's just sometimes the word, you know, that, like you said, it takes a couple of times to read it and like, oh, yeah, <laughs> maybe we need to fix that. <laughs> well, and, and originally there were bills that were much longer and I, I looked at it with a member of staff and he said, we could actually just change two words and fix this. And I go, well, let's do that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, Bo Biteman was on that bill with me. That was a fun bill. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, okay. So that was a great recap recap because or, or recap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> However you want to look at it. Um, but so like you said before, you know, the appropriations committee takes a lot of work it, regardless of this year. <laughs> yeah. And, um, just for anyone that doesn't know if you've been under a rock this last year and a half due to COVID, um, you know, I think COVID just kind of put some things into hyperdrive and maybe you can speak on this a little bit, but the state of Wyoming was facing a 400 million plus budget deficit due to, I mean, COVID and, you know, oil and gas and coal, um, revenue wise, wasn't looking very good, but, um, you know, what are some ideas that you guys are thinking in the appropriations committee to, you know, avoid another shortfall like this? Um, you know, the governor, I think and the legislator did a great job of legislature, um, of cutting that 430 million from the budget. Um, we'll get into K-12, but what are some things you've got been bouncing around in your head of, you know, how can we avoid this next time? And I mean, you know, we can't predict COVID, but. Well, the good news is that before I got there, they, they did rat hole a lot of money into savings so that, and it was called the stabilization reserve fund against a big downturn. So that's what saved our bacon. And that actually is backstopping K-12 right now because the K-12 education funds are, are either empty or going empty very fast. Yeah. The number one thing at this point, post-legislative session that we need to do is we need to reform spending on K-12 education. Uh, that's where the remaining deficit is. It grows uh, 30 to 40% faster than the rate of inflation. It has all kinds of automatic cost escalators built into it. Uh, we don't even make appropriations on K-12 anymore. It just is on autopilot, which I think is just a wow. horrible way to do things. Yeah. And so to get it under control, you have to pass a bill that says we're going to cap it or we're not going to pass all those increases on, which the Senate has done. And it gets to the House and just dies. Dies. And so there the, there the spending goes just automatic. It's just, it's just a, a automatically, it just keeps going and going and going. And so that's, that's going to have to be something under control. Everybody's got their own idea, Aaron, as to what they think they can do or they can't do. I have tried and tried and tried to get K-12 spending under control. When I first went down there, I said, look, we know where our finances are headed. Oil is down, coal is down, gas is down, and they're going to go down and stay down. There'll be some bumps back and forth, but basically the world is against us. And so you can look out in the near future and see we're going to lose 25 to 30% of our revenue, which here we are five years later. I hate to say I told you so, but that's where we are. Yeah. And I said, let's just cut everything two to 3% a year. You know, any bureaucrat can figure out how to make small. And in fact, we heard that from some superintendents, you know, we can deal with what you hand us. Just give us time. We can't do it all at once. 
and lost every single time on that. So now here we are, it, we're looking at something much more desperate. And I, I've tried, I, I was on a, what's called a recalibration committee to try and re-examine school finance. That went nowhere. Then I was appointed as chairman of another one. And we, we got a bill that would really didn't last very long in the house. And uh, so here's where I am. I'm not gonna vote for tax increases, period, until the spending gets under control. Mm -hmm. And some people say, well, it's a three-legged stool. Let's take some out of savings, let's cut some spending, and let's, let's raise some taxes. We're already taking it out of savings. And I don't believe, I think once you start raising taxes, you'll never get to the cuts. Yeah. So my thing is I've multiple people have tried to lay formulas on the table to say, here's a way that we can adequately fund education, protect the classroom, protect the teacher, slow down the rate of increase, really small reductions, can't get it through the house. So my position is, I'm just not going to vote for tax increases. We've tried to come up with an answer. You guys come up with one. I don't believe they will. What they're betting on is when our savings get low enough, uh, when the bank account gets down to about half a billion dollars, there's a provision that kicks in that says there will be automatic cuts across the board to K-12 education. And that could be as much as 20 or 30%. Wow. And I think they're playing with fire. I, yeah. I think it's a double Dutch dare. They're just saying, no, we think when we get to that point, somebody will cave and they'll start raising taxes. And you're going to have to raise taxes 20, 30, 40% to make that up. Yeah. And so I'm not saying never tax hikes anyway, under any, any circumstances. I'm saying you show me that you've got K-12 education spending under control. You show me a path that we're going to get to a balanced budget. And then maybe we can talk about a penny sales tax, maybe, but that's still a 25% increase. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can talk about small, small increases otherwise, but you've got to, you've got to show me that we're going to get the spending under control. So this last time around, you may have seen the advertisements. Our kids are worth a penny. It's just one penny. Well, that one penny would not cover the deficit. We're headed, headed for about a half a billion dollar deficit in 2025, 2026. Yep. A penny doesn't raise half a billion dollars. I'm sorry. And now you're talking about two pennies or three pennies. Then you do that. And now, you, now the sales tax is 10%, right? And but the formula keeps putting more increases, compounding on top of increases. Next thing you know, now you get to start looking at property taxes. Ultimately, I think there are people that advocate for a personal income tax. I, that may be the end game. So I'm just saying I've, I've tried to put formulas and answers on the table, gotten nowhere, as have many others. If you're counting on us caving and we're just going to start taxing our way out of the problem, it ain't going to happen. Yeah. You, you had a great presentation at the chamber lunch and you know, if, um, if you've got those numbers, cause I think that was a great example of even if we mix, mix and match tax increases, yep. if we don't do anything, anything to those uh, automatic increases, we're not going to catch up. And that was, you know, if you've got those numbers in front of you, cause I thought that was, it was this eye opening. Cause like you said, there's many people that want the income tax and it's like, Hey, that's great. But it's not going to catch us up. Well, I do want to just take a step aside here for just a second and yeah. say, every time we have this debate in the Senate, there's always people on the other side that stand up and say, I disagree. I support our teachers. I support our students. I think they're doing a great job. I support our teachers. I support our students. I think they're doing a great job. That's not the question. 
Yep. The question is, do we need to continue to spend at least in 2018, not including construction, not including federal funds per student per year, an average of $16,000 per year when every state around us spends substantially less? Yep. Utah, $7,500. Idaho, $7,800. Colorado, $10,000. South Dakota, $10,000. It, I mean, the next closest is North Dakota, which had an energy boom, right? There's no coincidence. We overspent when we were rich. They overspent when they were rich. And um, we spend more than 40 other states. 40 other states. So uh, can we... Can we cap that? Can we walk that down just a little bit and still deliver a quality education and preserve the classroom, the classroom teacher? I think so. So how do you cover a half billion dollar plus per year deficit? Well, if you jack the sales tax by 28%, you get 229 million. If you raise property taxes on houses by 40%, you get $178 million. Still not there. If you're doing the math out there. (laughs) If you raise commercial property taxes by 78%, you get $100 million. Industrial property by 38%, 86 million. I mean, you can mix and match these things to try to get half a billion dollars, and then you're going to come back again when the spending increases still more. A 5% personal income tax would be $147 million. So it's, you know, there there are people on the other side of the debate that say these would just be modest increases of, you know, four or five mils or, or, or just a penny and a half or two pennies. Well, the base tax is 4% you know, two pennies on top of that is a 50% increase. Yep. You know, I'm sorry, that's not modest. That's a lot of money out of people's pockets. Yep. So anyway, it's uh, what I predicted and told some of my peers going into this uh, session is it took a long time to mess it up. It's going to take a long time to straighten it out. If we can just balance the main budget, I mean the budget that is non-K-12 and do at least that much, that will be a major achievement. And we did do that. Now, and hats off to Governor Gordon because he was looking at that deficit and he cut and cut and cut everywhere he could. He can't cut K-12. And... um, so we ended up at, at, at the end of the session where everything except K-12 is in balance. Yep. Now to do that, it was $430 million in cuts, and that was ugly. That was ugly. We cut yeah. developmentally disabled, employee health insurance, drug rehab, alcohol rehab, prisons, senior services, University of Wyoming, community colleges, weed and pest control, predator control. Not, nobody was immune except K-12. Yep. Except K-12. <laughs> And that's, you know, it's Zach and I have been talking after we had your guys' presentation, you know, that was one thing him and and Zach's going to be a teacher, which is, you know, there's, there's some, there are teachers out there that I think they, they see the writing on the wall and they understand, and they understand. And that was one thing we've said is like, look, everybody except K-12 got hit hard. You know, at some, like you've been saying at some point, who's going to give, and yeah. you know, when you're the last person in the room that <laughs> uh, still gets a piece of the pie, I think, um, anyways, that's well, just, and if I be were, interesting, you know, and if I were a teacher, I'd be worried. I mean, you know, they've got the WEA telling them teachers are going to be laid off. Teachers are going to be laid off. We heard it from all the districts, you know, not all the districts, a lot of the districts, I should say, not all. Yep. We're going to have to lay teachers off. That's just, if, if you hand us any cuts at all, we are just going to have to lay teachers off and staff's going to be laid off. It's going to be the end of the days. And so we put a kicker in our bill that said, this money that's used to pay teachers, you cannot cut. 
You can cut anything else, but you can't cut teachers. Well, then we get some of those superintendents and districts saying, oh, no, we need flexibility. We need flexibility. Well, wait a minute. You're the one that said you're going to start yep. laying teachers off. We're saying don't lay teachers off. Find it elsewhere in your budget. And now you're saying, oh, please, you can't have it both ways. You yep. can't spread fear and then come back and ask to be able to do whatever the heck you want. It doesn't work that way. Yep. And... Um, and I do, you're, you're getting onto a good topic because you said this also, and I think some people need to hear this again. How are funds given to school districts? Because I think that's, you know, from a grassroots effort, I think people don't understand that. Yeah. So we have under Supreme Court mandate, the whole system is crazy. It's, this is what happens when lawyers and judges get in the middle of running your schools. Under Supreme Court mandate, we have to hire these out-of-state California, New York consultants, pay them hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars and they build what is the ideal school finance model, evidence-based. So that sounds good. <laughs> and then that all goes out to the districts in a block grant and they spend it however they want. And uh, so years ago, I remember I got a letter from a teacher who said, you, you cut my school supplies budget. I have to buy my own supplies. I said, I, I didn't cut anything. You know, the budget we passed had school supplies in it. It goes to your district and they decide how to spend it. Yep. So if you want to know where your school supplies budget went, call the district office or talk to your board of trustees or talk to your principal because we didn't cut school supplies yep. out of your budget. Now, this is several years ago. Sure. And it's the same thing. So what they spend it on, we don't have any control. I think that's wrong. The evidence indicates that paying teachers well and supervising them to use... Uh, uh, let me see. What is it called? A PC? What do we use here in Sheridan? Oh, um, PLC. The PLC, uh, yeah. professional learning communities. If you use professional learning communities, you will increase student attainment. You will increase ultimately teacher satisfaction. The whole system will improve. Well, some districts took the money just up their football budgets or whatever and, and just still change, never change the way they teach. And so the way some still teach is the teacher goes into the classroom and 25 years later, he or she retires, you know, it just, you, it, it's, that's not the way of the world anymore, but this, the state legislature has not mandated that you've got to follow any particular method of, of managing your school district. We just hand you a big chunk of money. So then some districts, the Supreme court said, we find on the evidence that small classes mean better student attainment. Well, actually, the evidence is very mixed on that, but whatever. That's what the Supreme Court said. So the model called for smaller class sizes. And some districts went out and hired more teachers and had smaller class sizes. Other districts went, you know what? We'll just give everybody a raise and not hire any more teachers. Okay, well, <laughs> you know. So you could have put it in school supplies. Uh, districts spend, I think, 38% more on activities than the model calls for. So there's a lot of money that could go there. Transportation, we've heard remarked upon many times. Yep. Why has a bus got just a handful of students going from one end of the state to the other to a, a tournament? Yep. And uh, not finding ways to compete locally. So it's... Uh, it, the problem is it all gets mixed up with children and fear and, and yeah. uh, lack of information and distrust. And so I'm kind of reduced down to, I'm just not going to vote for tax increases until, until somebody comes to the table with a solution. And I think that somebody has to be the superintendents. It has to be the districts. It has to be the teachers unions because everything I and others have put on the table gets rejected. So yeah, just watch that clock tick down until we start approaching that half billion dollar level when the automatic cuts kick in and decide whether you just want to 
chance it or whether you want to bring some constructive engagement to the table. Yeah. That's the best way is constructive engagement. And that's, you know, uh, what you said right off the bat was reform, you know, and I think that's, I think everyone can agree there needs to be reform there. And so how we do that, but you got to have that openness to, we have to have reform. And, you know, Zach and I, that was one of our biggest things about this show is we want, we want those tough conversations. We want to hear everyone's opinion and side on it. And, um, so that was great. And that was wonderful. I do want to get to some other questions. Having said that, I want to say this, I didn't run for legislature <laughs> to, to try and, I mean, to make every teacher mad. Right. I, I, I did not run for legislature for that. I didn't. It's just, it's been handed to me. And so we've got to deal with it. I'm about jobs, jobs, and jobs, which is education. I am pro education. And I think we can, we can cap education. We can spend a little bit less and still do a remarkably good job with it. We've just got to get past the fear factor. Yep. And I think you've mentioned some things in regards to reform. So that just means change. You know, there's, and one thing that Zach and I have always, you know, us being local Sheridan guys, use Sheridan district two as an example, like you mentioned, PLC. I mean, there's, there's ways that, you know, activities, I think communities can come together and, and cover those costs. And so anyway, I think you so, just got to so be let's, open. Let's not yeah. leave education yet because I, we pulled up Sheridan too, as an example. And, and so here's what happens. And this is so wrong because it is so the opposite of professional learning community. So professional learning community says, whatever class of kids you got, you're going to educate them and you're not going to come up with excuses. Professional learning communities is based on the fact that data worldwide, not just in the United States, this is true across all countries, the variation in educational attainment between schools is about 30%. Some schools do 30% better than others. The variation within a school is 70%. In other words, there are some teachers who are 70% more effective than others. Whoa. So what do you do? You don't fire people. You say, professional learning community, if you never sat in on one, it's great. It's fantastic. Rebecca Adsit is a new principal of the high school. I sat in on one with her. And so, you know, they, they start out, what are our objectives for the next two weeks? How are we going to measure it? And the kids have a baseline assessment. And then when the teachers come back in and they take a look, okay, how did our kids do? Well... Uh, Aaron, your kids have 80% proficiency on the subjects assigned. Dave, yours are at 50%. So now I have three options. I can say, oh, you're just reducing my kids to a number. That's dehumanizing. Or, which is just reject the data, right? Well, yes. it's, 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 a, it's a score. What What's to argue? Second, I can say, well, you should see the kids I've got. Sure. Blame the victim, right? Or third, I can say... Aaron, what are you doing in your class? You know, can right. I can I sit in? Now, if I take that section option, you should see the kids I've got. Aaron says, you know what? I'll take your kids for two weeks. You take mine. Let's see how it works. Yep. Right? <laughs> the odds are my kids are going to do better with you because you, you've got something that's more effective. So the preferred option is third, which is what are you doing that I'm not, that I can learn from you and I can become a more effective teacher. So what you are never to do in professional learning community is blame it on the kids. Okay. Now we're going to go to the legislature. Folks, it's not the money. I'll say things like, it's not the money, it's the management. It's the method. Sheridan County, the t- like the top performing schools in the state, adopted the best practices recommended by the consultants, which is practices like professional learning community. Oh, Sheridan, you've just got good demographics. What does that mean? You've heard that down, down in oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's just good demographics. What does that mean? 
your kids have bad demographics, so they can't learn. Look at Utah. They spend half of what we spend, and they outscore us. Oh, that's just demographics. Oh, Utah kids can learn and ours can't? What are you saying? What does that mean? You're blaming the kids. That's what that means. That's Mm -hmm. wrong. That's Mm -hmm. wrong. And so go look in the mirror and say, we need to say we are going to, oh, I know another, another guy. Well, we've got all these transient energy workers. Oh, okay. Well, we've got all these title one kids. Okay. Title one kids can't work. That's not what they believe in Sheridan, right? Transient kids can't learn. No, they can. Do not blame the children. You need to look in the mirror and say, we're going to find a way to educate every child. That's what Sheridan does. Yeah. And they don't blame it on, and they don't say, just give me more money. They do say, give me more money because everyone wants more money, but they don't say it's a lack of resources. They say, we are going to educate every kid and here's how we're going to do it. And, uh, Again and again and again, I, I'd, I'd like almost, I, I feel like as long as the legislature's writing those checks, they should provide more guidance to the districts on how they're going to educate our kids and attain results. But that's me. Yep. Well, and I think, you know, hopefully people listening, you know, and we've, we had Bo Biteman on for a third time and he brought his, he brought us two, three binders of K-12 and we went through K-12 and I'm like sitting there like my head's hurting because it's a, it's a very very confusing, you know, way we fund K-12. Um, so hopefully that clears up a lot of things for people yeah, out there. And so, and so um, kind of on that same line there, Dave, um, you know, moving forward, you know, um, in the legislature or, you know, here in Sheridan, you know, what are some ways that Sheridan can lead the way, um, you know, culturally or just, you know, throughout the state and what makes Sheridan, you know, you're from here, I'm from here, you know, what makes it so great here? Well, one, I, it's, it's just a vibe. It's just something. There's just a whole bunch of things come together. There's a reason that General Crook wanted to camp here. There's a reason that, that the Native Americans wanted to camp here. It's at the confluence of two creeks. It's at the base of the Bighorn Mountains. We're at 4,000 feet. We have one of the low, we have the longest growing season in the, in the whole state. Um, you go back to our history where you had the dude ranches bringing a lot of the well-to-do out here. You had uh, the English cattle companies raising horses, the horse business, and and it just, uh, and then, and then the coal, it's just this whole cross current of cultural influences that have just made a, just a really nice hometown where it's sort of like a small town, but there's a certain degree of, of availability of culture and sophistication that you ordinarily wouldn't expect in an ag tourism community. And, um, so those things are important to preserve. And I, I think we, we can and should do that. I think that the newcomers, as long as everybody who's moving here says, I'm moving here because Sheridan is Sheridan, I'm not moving here because I want to change Sheridan to like where I was when I came from. And, and I don't mean that to sound hostile or anything. It's just, don't be surprised if, if you move here and, and, and you say, well, the way we used to do it back home is X. And people say, well, you're not back home anymore. And, and that, that seems kind of rude, but just say, you know, hey, I've got an idea. <laughs> Because you can always learn from other people. And then the converse is true. I have friends that go, oh, I don't want anybody from California, New York moving here. <laughs> I say, well, what if they moved here because they believe everything you believe? Right. What do you mean? 
well, what if they're just had a belly full of those other states and they've looked at Wyoming as, as the last refuge of civilization in the United States, <laughs> right. you know, a sanctuary for democracy and clean living and, and correct values. What if, what if they're moving here for that reason? Oh, I guess I hadn't thought of it that way. So we, I, I did take a tour of one of these large manufacturing concerns and the guy giving me the tour, I said, now, are we bringing in a whole bunch of blue collar, blue state, you know, hard lefties that are going to want to do all kinds of progressive politics? And he goes, no, you go out to the parking lot, there's gun racks and Trump bumper stickers. They're all hunters and fishers, you know, so we're, we're real solid with our Wyoming values in terms of, and you've got to welcome new people. We're a pioneering community and, and, uh, anybody who wants to come here and help Bill Sheridan, what do we sing in church? All are welcome here. All are welcome here. And, and, and I mean that. And, and so, um, it's a sign of health. Now I will tell you, it's a little disorienting for me. I don't know about you, but I, it, sometimes I'll look around in a restaurant and I hardly see anybody I know. Do you, have you had that experience? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I, I know exactly how you feel. It's kind of, it's sometimes it's nice where you, as you probably know, not getting barraged by people that (laughs) want to talk to you, but, but you just have to say, well, good. It's a sign of health. Here's the biggest sign of health, Aaron. 20 years ago, when I'd go to church on Sundays, you rarely heard any children. Now there's all kinds of kids running up and down the, you know, their parents get in here, get in here. Oh, it's okay. Let them run up and down the aisle, you know, and babies crying and kids squalling and crawling under the pews. And that's a sign of health. That's a real sign of health. And so it's, it's fantastic to see where Sheridan is. Um, We need more housing. I'd I'd like to see the growth slow down a little bit, but we're in, we're in a good spot. Yeah. The main thing I guess I'd have to say, and I said that at the chamber is we can't look to Washington for our answers. And I don't think we can look to Cheyenne for our answers. You know, they, they're running out of money and, and mostly it's, it's, it's 90 strong-willed people who, who all want to see whatever they want to see for their communities and for their state. And when I say things like, you know, if you'd come up to Northeast Wyoming and see, well, go to Johnson County and look at how they celebrate career and technical education at their high school awards assembly. And it is on a par with everybody that's got academic honors. And very often it's the same kids. And so they have, they have crossed that river of saying, how do we, how do we celebrate all kinds of work and all kinds of academic achievement equally? We have to do that yet in Sheridan. But I tell them, come up and see the manufacturing that we've got in Sheridan. You know, we can cross this bridge. All they hear is somebody who's proud of their community. Right. And I am. But the governor came up. I think he was blown away by what he saw on this tour. And we're inviting all the other top five electeds. And uh, hopefully, as I, if I stay in the legislature, if I'm retained in the legislature, if people don't toss me out, <laughs> as you move up, then you can you can have more influence to say, we're going to hold these, this committee meeting and this one and this one and this one in Sheridan. And it's not just the committee meeting. You try to reserve an afternoon where you load them up onto a bus and you take them out and show them what the basis, what this place is all about. Best place to work, live and play. Love it. And I think that my next question was going to be, you know, how can, how can we be that leader to Wyoming, which you kind of just hit on, you know, I think, I think we need to promote ourselves more. And, um, and then, you know, my next question was, um, Oh, this is, um, if you don't mind, Zach had a question for you. And this is a, this is a very broad question. Okay. So loved your answer there on Sheridan and, and, you know, um, 
if you're listening and you're not from here and you're looking to visit Sheridan, come out here. Cause yeah, it's uh, take a look. Give me yeah, a call. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> Kinski.com K I N S K E Y.com. My phone number's there address the whole bit or yeah. go B Y O. Yep. Yeah. And, um, so this is kind of, again, a broad question, but Zach and I have kind of been touching on this. Like you said, we're not going to get any help from Washington. You know, you know, Cheyenne, we're probably not going to get a whole lot of stuff either. You know, there's a movement, hopefully, of kind of getting back to more power to the states, some federalism. What, um, you know, how can we shape that here in Wyoming? You know, are, is there any ideas you have? Or, I mean, Wyoming is a pretty strong, you know, state first type of community. But, you know, any thoughts on that that you'd like to share or, you know, um, you know, yeah, how can an, how well, can we get to, into not that? Not to go all political on you, but <laughs> federalism. There will be very little federalism under the current Biden administration. I think the way to get back on a path of federalism is that Republicans have to quit fighting with each other, quit yeah. censuring each other, yep. and we have to take back the U.S. House and take back the U.S. Senate. And we have to confirm one or two or three more conservative nominees to the Supreme Court uh, who, who have a commitment to federalism. Because when you look at a lot of what comes out of the kinds of administrations like we've got in Washington now, it's all about mandates and federalism be damned. They want uniformity and they want, you know, a lot of liberals, they just want to boss people around. That's really what it comes down to. They want to be able to tell everybody what to do. So you look at the Obama administration, here's, here's the classic case of federalism out the window. We have water rights in Wyoming, not under Obama, which had this, it was called WOTUS, the waters of the U S and it basically defined down to, you know, you could, you could look up there and see where water washes down that gully maybe once every six or seven years during a real heavy storm, that's a navigable water. They're going to regulate that. Wow. So the idea was, was you would have to get permission to irrigate from the federal government. They were going to control all the land, all the agricultural production, everything by controlling the water. That went to the U.S. Supreme Court once, and they struck it down and, with, by one vote, by one vote, and said, that's not a navigable water. They Obama repromulgated the regulation, went to the Supreme Court again. They struck it down again by one vote. The regulation was hardly different from the first one. They just put some, you know, a little bit of lipstick on yep. it. Then they were in the middle of promulgating it a third time when the administration went out. And then Trump got rid of all that, yeah. got rid of all that stuff. Well, now this new administration, they're going to start going back true to form and just getting rid of federalism. How do you get rid of federalism? Well, we depend so abjectly on the federal government for so much of our budgets that they just say, you know, do it our way or you don't get the money. That's why we had a 55 mile an hour speed limit. They just said, lower your speed limit to 55 miles an hour or you don't get any federal high funds. Uh, raise your drinking age 21 or you don't get federal highway funds. Uh, make sure that minors can't purchase any tobacco unless they're 21 uh, or you don't get any health care funds. Uh, just, they just cut off the money. Right. And federalism's out the window. So uh, these are folks that really want a, a single national government and the only way to resist it is to get rid of them because they're not going to compromise. Yeah, and is is you know, this sounds counterintuitive, but like, would that look like a, a coalition of states, local states banding together or what's, well, um, local states are banding together, but, but really it, it, what it comes down to is you, you've got to get control of the U S Senate and the U S has back in, in the hands of people that believe in a, in a federalist system. 
And, uh, you know, the convention of the states has been proposed as an answer. There's concerns about that being a runaway convention. But I don't think it's a, a for sheer deal that, sure. a, that a convention of states is going to come up with the kind of answer that you or I might like. Right. Yeah. So, and because it's, you know, but, we're, but I'll tell you, if, if they, we had more U.S. Supreme Court justices like Antonin Scalia, yes, you know, uh, the late the late Justice Scalia, you would see a return of federalism because he breathed new life into the Ninth and the Tenth Amendment and to the Second Amendment. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, um, that was a great answer because I think you know Zach and I talk about it a lot, but it's, um, I, I think you're spot on. I think it's you know, it's got to be grassroots efforts in the States, you know, so, you know, Wyoming, we only have one represent, you know, yeah, one representative and two senators. So it's, you know, um, in those other States, that's what you have to do is, you know, you got to flip those States. So, um, just to end out, Dave, that was, that was wonderful. Um, you kind of already mentioned it, but what are the best ways for people to reach you, um, in regards to, um, you, you as a Senator, then also you are also, you know, a business owner too, but, um, what are kind of the best ways for people to reach you? And, and, uh, what do you plan on? I should ask this too. What do you plan on doing this summer? You know, it was a big, big, long session. You know, what are you going to do this summer? Well, the, the easiest way to reach me, I'll take that one is, is go to my website, Kinsky.com, K-I-N-S-K-E-Y. Always put the E in there.com and all my contact infos in there. I've got personal profile, law office profile, and the legislative information there. Oh, perfect. Um, this summer, I have a lot of plans, but I think it's going to be interrupted by a special session. We're mm. supposed to go into a special session July 12th. So I got my bicycle out of the bike shop downtown. I had some new tires put on it so that I can just start doing some of the back roads. People are telling me, you know, the gravel is where to go. So I, I plan on getting out on my bicycle. Awesome. I, I plan on going up and getting some fishing in. I'd like to get a little bit of camping in. I'd like to see family. You know, our son right. flew out. God bless Kevin. He flew out for Mother's Day weekend. Awesome. And we had, we had not seen him since Thanksgiving of 2019. Oh my gosh. Almost a year and a half. Yeah. Almost a year and a half. So my wife was just fit to be tied to see that kid. That's wonderful. And he's a great cook. So. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so really just all, all sorts of just some of the, just the real pleasures of life and living, you know, and shared and get out. And I know this sounds funny, but. What I really like is my wife's office is downtown and mine's up on the courthouse hill. And I'll call her and say, should I come down and we can go to lunch together? And she says, yeah. And on a summer day, walking down Main Street, waving to people, sometimes I just sit down on one of those benches and just soak up the sun and just enjoy myself and just take, take a moment and just to really enjoy life, life in Sheridan. And... Uh, then go to go to lunch with my wife. It just seems to me like such an ideal existence. I just, it sounds simple, but I just don't think life could be any better than that. That's fantastic. I'm just going to end up right there. That's wonderful. Um, yeah. Cause that's, there's no, no place on earth. I think that you can do that. Not, not I, for me. I like to challenge people to, 
tell us if there is, but, um, well, Dave, thank you for your time. I know you're, you just got back from vacation a little bit ago and you know, you took a break from session. So I know you're probably back to meetings and work and catching up. So thank you for your time. If you ever want to come back on, please, please reach out to us. If you've got, um, an issue or something that you want to voice your concerns, we're always always happy to have you come back and listen, I'm happy to do it. My very first podcast. So it's been a blast. Awesome. Well, thank you. And, uh, thanks for listening everyone. And we'll catch you next time.